have um, a relative newcomer uh, to these annual forums in the sense of the uh, new League of Arab States Chief Representative Ambassador to the United States. Uh, I've known each one of them for the last almost half century, and each one of them uh, brings to the cause and the table a varied uh, background and, and set of experiences, and this ambassador is no exception. Um, ambassador Dr. Mohammed Al Husseini Al Sharif uh, obtained his uh, PhD from the University of Houston on the side, so to speak, in the evenings, <laughs> on the weekends, while he headed the Saudi Arabian Consulate in Houston, uh, which is one of the most, uh, the biggest and the most demanding and dynamic of the several Saudi Arabian consulates in the United States. But he's also served in Venezuela, a uh, fellow OPEC uh, member, uh, with um, a very colorful, controversial populist leader of uh, some issues and concerns to the United States. He served in the Philippines. Uh, he was Saudi Arabia's ambassador to, to Turkey, which is uh, very much in the news, and rightly so, in connection with many of the issues we're dis discussing here, and has continued uh, to focus on issues pertaining to North America, because he was also ambassador to Canada. Please welcome His Excellency Dr. Mohammed Al Husseini Al Sharif, Ambassador of the League of Arab States. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Thank you, Dr. Anthony, for the kind introduction. Uh, today, uh, Muslims throughout the world are celebrating the Eid al-Adha, the Day of Sacrifice, and I would like to convey my best wishes to all of those who are celebrating it today. Uh, I will go just directly. Really, before that, uh, fast developments and everyday developments in the Middle East, I don't know from where I start. But I will start in the midst, I think, of, the, of my speech as I uh, summarized it in order to go by your time. Uh, the recent developments in the region, or what is being labeled as the Arab Spring, are the first of their kind in the history of the region. The Arab Spring has, as we noticed, has one slogan, one common slogan in all the five countries, simply stated, Ashab The people want the overthrow of the existing regimes. Evaluating these movements among the countries involved, one finds a common denominator also. The regimes were all in agreement in calling the people's demands for freedom, equality, and justice as an external conspiracy which deemed as an insult to the people of the region. There are four driving factors in the Arab Spring events. They are, first, the fairest and most and foremost in the, in the mobilized masses who were enabled by technology and social media. What has happened is that technology has enabled citizens to challenge repressive 
security forces. The second, the role played by the military and regime security forces. We have seen in Egypt and Tunisia, the military was neutral and thus depriving the regime of an essential tool of suppression. Thirdly, the intervention by outside forces, NATO in Libya, Turkey, Iran, Russia, and Russia in Syria, I mean the foreign forces outside the area. The fourth is that the longevity of the leadership in all the Arab Spring countries has left no doubt as to who has been responsible for each country's plight and grievances. Despite all the odds and uh, notwithstanding the complexities involved, the League of Arab States adopted a number of unprecedented initiatives vis-a-vis -vis the crisis mainly in both Libya and Syria. The League's basic premise aimed at combating all forms of atrocities, violence, and killing of innocent civilians in the two countries. Just as an example, on the 22nd February 2011, and as a result of the use of military force against civilians in Libya, the Arab League suspended the membership of Libya, called for a no-fly zone. In addition, the League supported the intervention of NATO in the Libyan crisis. With regard to Syrian crisis, the League was deeply involved from the outset, and our involvement is reflected in many measures. I'll just mention some of them. Sending a, monetary, a monitoring team to Syria, suspension of the membership of the, of, the, of, the, of the Syrian regime in the League, the coordination of the League with Syrian opposition, the call to impose economic, financial, and commercial sanctions on the Syrian regime in a way that will not harm the people of Syria, uh, requesting the UN intervention, uh, the call to put Syrian officials who committed crimes against humanity on trial before the International Criminal Court, inviting, and this is very important, inviting the Security Council to bear the responsibilities according to the UN Charter and even implementing Chapter 7 of the UN Charter. I listed the above measures taken by the League of Arab States without evaluating its success or failure. But their importance lies in the fact that they are unprecedented by the League. Anyway, no country or organization, whether regional or international, were able to deal successfully with the Syrian crisis. The UN Security Council, as many of you know, could not resolve the problem due to the veto casted by Russia and China three times against resolutions mainly aimed for the protection of the innocent civilian population of Syria. And this reflects the necessity of reforming the structure of the veto system in the Security Council of the United Nations. Because I think no country will be allowed to decide the destiny of another nation who is facing atrocities by repressive regimes. The Arab Spring has rejuvenated Islamic political trends in Arab politics, mainly in Egypt and Tunisia. 
As the Arab Spring gave birth to new democratically elected leaders and regimes with, parliament, with parliaments dominated by Islamist or Islamic movements and parties, the U.S., as it seemed, came to the conclusion that it has no choice but to deal with whoever, with whomever is in power or elected. Few months ago, mainly in April, particularly in April, the U.S. hosted a meeting in Washington, D.C. that brought together representatives of Islamic parties and organizations from Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, and Algeria. Some of these Islamic parties and organizations were banned in their own countries before the Arab Spring. And some of the delegates even were denied entry visa to the United States before the Arab Spring. One member of the Islamist delegation justified the visit to Washington, D.C. by stating that, and I quote, we are aware of the very important role that the U.S. plays throughout the world, and we seek to improve our relations with the U.S., unquote. He further added, and I quote, we are here to begin building bridges of understanding with the United States, unquote. Facing some media, criticism to the visit of the Egyptian delegation composed mostly of Islamists, including the Muslim Brotherhood. White House Press Secretary Jay Carney said, and I quote, our policy is clear and is the same. It is a fact that Egypt's political landscape has changed and the actors have become more diverse and our engagement reflects that we will judge Egypt's political actors by how they act, not by their religious affiliation, unquote. Though Morocco, Algeria, Jordan, and the GCC countries have not experienced the Arab Spring, but recent developments have shown some changes. The political institutions in some of those countries are in the process of transition towards more participation. Some did their best to mollify their people with ambitious public spending plans. We have seen legal system and procedures are being reformed in response to the aspiration of the people and their yearning for a good governance and transparency. Now, let me turn to the American policies during the Arab Spring. Since the advent of the Arab Spring, two initiatives by the American administration emerged. These initiatives, two initiatives, I don't think they were a coincidence, but anyway, they came almost at the same time, one in August 10, 2011, and the other one in September 2011. In August 10, 2011, President Obama ordered the creation of an atrocities prevention board the president made the prevention of atrocities a key focus of his administration's foreign policy. This initiative aimed at protecting civilians and holding perpetrators of atrocities accountable. But the focus of this initiative is Syria and Libya. The other initiative, the second initiative, is the Open Government Partnership which was launched in September 2011, but it was activated recently. 
It was launched by eight governments and nine society organizations and has grown to include 57 nowadays, now 57 countries and over 300 commitments reaching 300 commitment organizations reaching more than 2 billion people, all in just one year. Some Arab countries have already joined, and there are others in the process of joining, which I think is a blessing thing for many Arab countries. The Open Government Partnership is an international voluntary effort to improve government performance, encourage civic participation, and enhance government responsiveness to people and to improve govern governance throughout the globe. The, 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 the Open Government Partnership uh, core principles are transparency, citizen protection, ac and account accountability. More recent and the most and the most the, the highlight of the really of the of the policy of the United States is the memorandum of understanding for cooperation that was signed recently between the, the General Secretariat of the Arab League and the U.S. Department of State. This was signed on the was signed on the sideline of the United Nations General Assembly meeting in New York on the 25th of September. This MOU is intended to promote more effective cooperation and coordination of policies as well as to develop dialogue in various fields in order to achieve economic, social, cultural, educational, and humanitarian cooperation. The MOU also calls for an annual meeting between the Secretary of State and the Secretary General of the Arab League. It calls also for uh, senior, uh, regular senior, star, senior officials meeting between the two parties. And uh, uh, at the press conference, the Secretary of State announced, announced the, 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 uh, that uh, the establishment of a small professional cultural exchange program to bring Arab League officials together with Americans working on the same challenges. This, MOUs, this MOU came as a result of the unprecedented steps taken by the Arab League to highlight the challenges of development in our region and particularly in Libya and Syria. The Secretary of State described the, the signing of the MOU as an opening in a new, is opening a new chapter in the history of U.S.-Arab League relations. On this occasion, she said, and I quote, the United States and the Arab League have worked, have worked more closely together than ever before. We have stood shoulder to shoulder in responding to crises in Libya and Syria, unquote. Given all the developments in the region and in the United States policies, perhaps this is the right time to revive the Arab peace initiatives as there are several pro-Israeli voices who express their concerns that Israel's future as a Jewish and Zionist state is, 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 we, we have, is, is really threatened, threatened. Let me give some examples. Uh, before I go to that, also the Arab Spring brought leaders who are elected democratically, and I am sure those are more responsible than the former ones and more accountable to the people and to the public opinion, who, of course, they will not accept 
any atrocities committed against the Palestinians under occupation. Um, I think you gave the American ambassador the 20 minutes or 30. I should you give me, I think you give me some, <laughs> Dr. Anthony. Yes, I, ha I have an idea where, uh, because the next session yeah, okay, involves then. what you're talking okay. about. We want you to remain for that. But you as I represent 22 countries, give us at least 10 minutes for each country. <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, 15 minutes. Anyway, I have, because really, the, the last part, I took my time because I thought I will be given the same time. But anyway, I will uh, try to finish. <laughs> anyway, uh, I will give you some examples of uh, uh, the, some, uh, some um, uh, pro -Israel, prominent Israeli uh, officials uh, who, and, uh, and, and authors who really who really uh, uh, commented on this. Abraham uh, Berge, I would like to refer to him, the former speaker of the Knesset, um, wrote an article on, the, on June 7, uh, 2012, where he suggested that it is not anti-Semitic and not anti-Israel to tell Israel that it is impossible to be treated as the only democracy in the Middle East, while it is also the last colonial occupier in the Western world. On the contrary, Abraham Berg continued, the settlers, the, the conquerors, and their political allies are the real enemies of Israel's future. Here is another example. Peter Binart, the author of the book, of the recent book, The Crisis of Zionism, he said that Zionism as a liberal democratic project will die, and that this will be the consequences of continued settlement building in the West Bank encouraged by successive Israel, Israeli governments. Mr. Benami, the former chief of the Mossad, spoke recently at the Wilson International Center, and he said, and I quote, the greatest threat to Israel is not the nuclear program of Iran, but the vanishing of Zionism, unquote. I sensed that he was worried about the future of Israel, and I asked him a question that since he was so worried about the, van the vanishing of Zionism, why doesn't Israel accept the Arab peace plan? I think he agreed with me that it should be put on the table now. Uh, this initiative was endorsed by the 22 Arab countries, by the African Union, by the non-aligned movement, by the, Arab by the Islamic uh, cooperation organization, and it was endorsed, of course, mainly and for the first time by the 22 Arab countries. It was endorsed by the, by the USA, by the European Union, you name it. But it was rejected only by Israel. To finish now, just uh, perhaps it is about time now that the USA takes into account the sentiments of, and attitudes of more than 360 million of the Arab population, of the 22 Arab countries, and those of one billion and a half billion Muslims who are also sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. However, one does not have to be a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim to be sympathetic or a supporter of the Palestinian cause, but one has to be a fair human being. Thank you very much.